so will be on the screen. This is my first Sunday of 2019, so it's a joy for me to wish you all Happy New Year. Thanks for being here. Um, one announcement that we have that didn't actually make it on the announcement sheet is uh, we're going to be making uh, our fourth trip to the nation of Haiti uh, this summer, and so this has just been a highlight for us as a church, and so we're going to have an informational meeting next Sunday after church, and so if you're interested in just in any way helping to support in prayer, or you want to give finances, or you want to, you know, in faith, go get a passport and think you want to head to the nation of Haiti, we'd love to have you do that. So next Sunday, you can hear more about that, but there'll just be an informational meeting. Yes, and if you are a volunteer for Night to Shine and you did not attend the meeting on Thursday, um, for us to do this event well, we need you to show up this afternoon from 2 to 3 p.m. And uh, Night to Shine is our prom that we partner with the Tim Tim Tebow Foundation, where it's just a wonderful opportunity to serve those with special needs in our community, give a a wonderful chance to crown all of those folks kings and queens of the prom, because that's how God sees them. So both of those are opportunities just to get involved in our broader mission. Okay. I wanted to start this morning, because it's a new year, I want to start with uh, a little little game. All right, I've got a gift card for whoever can guess the artist that sings the following song, and Aaron is going to be my Vanna White. So go ahead and cue it up, Brian. All right. I knew Todd Rouse. All right, here we go. Yeah, all right. All right, Todd. What do we want? Artist, year released, Art, names of the yeah, band? Ar- if you, Todd needs to get the year, too. Is everybody else asleep? How did you not know this? Okay. Belinda Carlisle, I'm guessing 87, 88-ish. All right. Todd, tell everybody why Belinda Carlisle's famous. What, what, what lead She was the lead singer of the Go-Go's. All right. Come on. Let's give it up for Todd. All right, Todd. There you go. All right. Yeah. So this is a church where, yeah, um, you just want to stay up on your 80s trivia because, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the years I grew up. Um, the reason I draw your attention to that is a couple of things. Um, it's crazy how that song has endured for over 30 years. And one of my children were actually singing this song around the house this week. And I said, where in the world did you hear that song? And evidently, it's uh, a Geico commercial. So anyway, but <laughs> when... <clears throat> When I was a teenager, I mean, that song was, I mean, just an orbiting for teenage love and just this idea of heaven being a place on earth. And that idea has endured, really, for over 30 years. And um, everybody, whether they know it or not, deep down, they long for a place where they can find peace, where they can find rest, but simultaneously a place that they can experience power and transformation um, and this morning we're going to start a sermon series in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and kind of what holds the whole Sermon on the Mount together is this prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And if you have been around church for any amount of time, you may have heard this prayer. It says, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or another way of saying that is allowing the culture of heaven to become the culture of earth. And most of us were longing for that to happen, 
And we probably know on some level, because you're in a church, that Jesus has something to do with that, but we don't really know how. And that's kind of the thrust of our series, how heaven actually begins to touch earth. And we're going to begin with Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And what we're going to learn over the next uh, eight weeks or so is just this reality that as we live and follow and pay attention to Jesus, there's a way that the culture of heaven can begin to penetrate and become and transform the culture of earth. That there's this reality that as we look to Him and as we follow Him as His disciples, people can begin, whether they have placed their faith in Jesus or not, and I hope if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I pray that, that you could experience the culture of heaven here this morning. That you may not know all the ins and outs, but you realize that there's something different. That we're worshiping a God who loves us and who entered into the story. That we can see the beauty of this King together. And as we follow Him, we get to demonstrate the goodness of His kingdom. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. And this morning, we're going to begin with the end of the sermon because it kind of sets the tone. You know, you want to kind of go to the, the, the climax of it because I think all of the other teachings kind of fall. Um, this helps us to understand how we're supposed to hear and respond to the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7, and I'm going to read verses 24 through 27. And if you wouldn't mind, would you stand with me? And the reason that we stand is just because we want to draw attention to God's words. <coughs> These are the most important words that will be spoken here today. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, just as we encounter those words, there's just a drawing. We want to be those that build our house on the rock. I pray that you would help us to hear your word and to begin to live them out and to do them. I pray that you would protect us from the storms that surely will come. To do that, we need you to help us to pay attention. We know there's a difference between merely paying attention and listening and hearing with faith. I pray that you would give us ears to hear so that we understand what you want us to do and how we are to respond to the beauty of who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the Sermon on the Mount... This is Jesus' manifesto for human flourishing. This is Jesus coming in and teaching His disciples at the beginning of His ministry. This is how life works best for a world that has experienced 
brokenness and sin and the fall and all kinds of relational fracturing. Actually, this culture that Jesus is giving this sermon into is a lot like ours. It's one that pays lip service to who God is. But this is a call to have a different kind of life. To listen and to pay attention to the words of Jesus and to build our lives upon Him. Ever since these words were spoken in the first century, no one has been able to improve on the moral and the ethical teaching of Jesus. This is a kingdom that's full of peace and forgiveness and mercy. I mean, um, who wouldn't like a world where people actually love their enemies, right? What workplace would not be better if it was full of peacemakers, Right? So the thing that we're going to look at today is how do we respond to Jesus' teaching as he lays out this vision of this beautiful kingdom. And this is more than just pie-in-the-sky teaching. This is more than what is possible. Jesus is announcing that as he's come into the world, that this kingdom is here now. And that as we receive this kingdom, we get to have the power that transforms us into the kind of people that love peace, that transforms us into the kind of people that loves justice, that transforms us into the kind of people who lift Jesus up high with the beauty of our lives. And the good news is, it's not only in the things that we do well, but also in our failures. That this is a kingdom where the King Jesus comes and He transforms His people to be a living picture of His work and His Word. But what we're going to see at the end of this sermon is that this is a message in a kingdom that has urgency. Right? I mean, this isn't something that we can just take or leave. This isn't something that we can just pay lip service to. This is a kingdom to whom and the king to whom we must respond. And this is all held together by two different kinds of people. Both kinds of people hear the teaching of Jesus, right? They both physically hear the words and the teaching of Jesus, but there is a, a wise man who hears the words of Jesus in verse 24 and begins to build his life on that. And it says he's like a, a man that builds his house on the rock. And when the storms come, he stands firm and his life is not destroyed. And then the, it's contrasted in verse 26 with those that merely hear Jesus' teaching and those people that think it sounds like a good idea, Right? And, and those people are like those that build their house on the sand or on a coastline without a foundation. And as soon as a storm comes, it's washed away. And so this is a message about how we hear and how we respond to Jesus. What we build our lives and how we build our lives is determined by the quality of our hearing. Right. So this is a message for us just, you know, from the outset to ask ourselves the question, how and who are we building our lives on? Are we just listening to Jesus in a merely human way as a moral philosopher or someone that has good ideas? Or are we responding to Him as the King of the universe? So these verses are about us as a people being rooted and grounded in the teachings of Jesus. Now, um, in his book, um, Chop Wood and Carry Water, or Chop Wood and Carry Water, the author tells the story of this Japanese architect named Koda. 
Now, the, chop wood and carry water is the story of how an apprentice goes from being just a mere apprentice to a samurai archer. And so the sensei sits down and he tells his apprentice this story. He tells the story of Koda, who was an architect in Japan. He became famous all over Japan and really was the most sought-after architect in Japan This is because he had a precision and an attention to detail. He only wanted to use the finest materials. And so his, really, the quality of what he built as an architect became famous all over Japan. And after doing 30 years of just impeccable work, Koda went to his boss and said, Hey, I think it's time that I lay it all down and I retire. I've got some trips that I want to take. I've got some things that I want to do with my life. And the boss sits Coda down and says, hey, listen, I have this very important client and I want you to build one final house for him. And Coda, who has really already mentally checked out of the process, begins to build the house. He doesn't build a bad house, but he doesn't use his normal precision. He doesn't use the best materials. And to everyone else, it looks like it's just okay, right? And then, at the end of the project, he goes back to his boss and he says, I've done exactly what you said. And to his surprise, his boss handed him a box that was wrapped in a ribbon and in it was a key. And all the time, Coda didn't know that he was building his own house. Right? This was his parting gift. And at that moment, he knew, he said, I wish I would have known that this was my own house. I wish I would have known that this was going to be for me, right? And most of us, we give all kinds of intentionality to how we're going to structure our career or how we're going to spend our leisure time, but we just kind of careen into this idea of spirituality. And what Jesus is saying is that there's this real quality that we have to pay close attention to his words and base our life on his teaching. We are all building our own house. We're all building something with our lives. And either we're going to build something that stands strong and endures the storms of life, or there's going to be a a way that we can build our lives that ultimately leads to destruction. We're all builders. So to build families and churches that last They must be built on listening to and responding to Jesus. Hearing alone is not enough. Hearing alone leads to destruction. To build a career that leads to more than a paycheck. To be able to begin to model the kingdom of God in the workplace. It takes listening to and responding to Jesus. For marriages to flourish, where two people become one flesh... Like one person can't be just oriented to listening to and responding to Jesus. It takes both people coming together to say, we have the same king, we have the same kingdom, we have the same values. We want to follow him together. Students, that you're here. We're so glad that you're here. Don't buy into the lie that life is something that happens later on, right? You are right now becoming the spouse that you will become, right? You are right now laying the track and laying the foundation of the kind of employee that you're going to be. And that's why I'm so grateful for Campus Outreach, because they're not just trying to help you for the next four years. They're trying to help you for the next 40, 50, 60 years to build your life on a foundation so that you will endure the storms of life.
Um, but the good news is, and so this is like, there's a sense of urgency here. But you kind of contrast that with, there's a tender part to this message. Jesus doesn't want any of us to perish. He doesn't want any of us to merely listen to him, right? He wants us to actually benefit from his teaching, listen to those things, and build our lives around them. He doesn't want us to experience the destruction and devastation of building a life apart from him. So much so that Jesus didn't just pay lip service to storms. He actually entered into storms on our behalf. He's our Savior. He's our champion, right? He endured the storm of God's wrath on the cross so that He could raise our life up from the devastation and the pit. He endured the devastation of our own sin and our own rebellion so that He could give us a new life and a new story and a new power. And for everyone that wants to build their life on the spot where the rock is, that's the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's where life and power and mercy and peace flow from. So the question for us this morning is, how do we architect a life that is built on listening and responding to Jesus? And the answer is, we enter into the lifelong process of discipleship, right? We actually apprentice with Jesus. The definition of discipleship that we have adopted here at Fellowship that we've borrowed from people that are a lot smarter than us is Discipleship is being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing the works that Jesus did. And all of those things work together. Um, You can't become like Jesus apart from being with Jesus. You can't do the works that Jesus did apart from becoming like Him. So all of those things fit together. This is a holistic picture of discipleship. This may be... uh, self-evident, but this takes a high degree of intentionality, right? I mean, now I have limited building skills if you've ever been to my house. Uh, Most of the time I have to ask my friends to come over and help hang pictures on the wall for my wife, so um, this is going to be limited. But, I mean, if you, you can imagine if you wanted to build a new house and you hired a contractor and you came by and he didn't have any plans and he said, I've always just wanted to see how this would work out if we didn't have any blueprints, right? I mean, you know, I mean, that, that, that's not going to go very well. It's the same with our life. To architect a life that is built on listening to and responding to Jesus, it takes a degree of intentionality. We don't simply arrive as people that are not anxious, right? We actually have to spend time with our rabbi who helps us to understand that there is peace that comes from being in His presence. We don't automatically become those kinds of people that resist the lies of the enemy on our own strength. It comes by this process of being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus and doing the works that Jesus did. The key issue for Matthew 24 to 27 is how we hear. There's one way that we can hear that adds stability and depth and growth to our life. And there's another way that we can hear that leads to destruction. 
all throughout Jesus' ministry. I even prayed this this morning. We often pray this in our prayer meeting. We say, give us ears to hear. Right? We're not talking about our auditory canals working well. We're talking about the Spirit of God illuminating and helping us to understand His words so that we can actually benefit from them and put them into practice. There's really this terrible lie that's been bought into in church culture that that belief is an intellectual process, right? That you can believe in Jesus the same way that you can believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States. Um, The reality of belief in the Bible is living and trusting in something as though it's true. Dallas Willard says this. This is his definition of belief. He says, belief is the degree to which one is ready to act if something were true. So for us to be able to really believe the words of Jesus, it takes more than mere listening. We need God to do a work in us so that he can do a work through us. Jesus wants us to put his words into practice. It'd be very easy to just read the Sermon on the Mount and to take it as a a teaching on morality, that, that Jesus wants his followers to be certain kinds of people. And he does, but um, you don't just arrive at loving your enemies, right? I mean, have you ever had someone stab you in the back in the workplace, right? That's not natural. I'll give you an illustration from my own life that I wasn't planning on, but I lived out yesterday. So I'm coaching my son's sixth grade basketball team, right? We are in the championship, and yeah, super proud of those guys. You can give them a round of applause, right? And, you know, most of the games, like, we've won, and it's been amazing. But yesterday, we went up against a team that was just a little bit better than we were, and it seemed like the officiating was completely lopsided. So I'm usually pretty calm. I asked the scorekeeper, I said, so how many fouls do we have and how many does the other team have? And at that point, it was seven to one. And I just pulled the referee aside. I said, hey, I don't know. I'm not saying that the fouls that we committed weren't fouls, but I said, surely seven to one? You know, it seems like there's a disparity there. And, I mean, our kids, most of them haven't hit puberty yet, so they're just getting bounced all over the court. And there's this moment where a kid intentionally puts out his foot and trips my son. And so at that moment, I came up off the bench and I walked onto the court like I could physically feel myself do this. And I've never, to my knowledge, done anything like this in my life. And I was like, you have to be kidding me. They called walking on him instead of like the kid tripped him. You know, and I got a technical foul. And... (laughs) See, this is good for me because I felt condemned at that moment. And, but, I, but I have this teaching, right, in, in my head, like, loving your enemies. This is far from an enemy. And I have, to trust in this, I have to trust in this moment, like, I have blown it. Not only did I blow it, just blow it in my own heart, I blew it in front of these kids that are supposed to be looking up to me. And I blew it in front of the fans and... I got angry with this official. And so, I mean, I went to all of them and, you know, asked them to forgive me. And it was this humbling experience. And, but just in the moment, like, 
you don't have to get it all right. You know, like I'm still in the process of discipleship. I'm still following Jesus. But what the Sermon on the Mount is meant to do is to come up and take residence in our hearts where it's more normal to love than it is to hate, right? Where it's more natural to extend mercy than it is to withhold mercy. And we don't get that by just um, looking at words on a page. We actually need the presence of the King and the beauty of the King in our lives so that we're moved from, as we read in worship this morning, from one degree of glory to another. Right? This is about being with the King so that people can understand the beauty of the kingdom. So when, let's go back to our definition of discipleship. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing the works that Jesus did. Which of those seems more natural to you? Right? I think most of us, if we're honest, probably have some idea of becoming like Jesus. And we can read the Bible and say, yeah, we want to do some of the things that he did. But if we're honest... Being with Jesus, and this is kind of what all of this hinges on, is difficult for us. In his book called Whisper, Mark Batterson tells the story. Uh, He lives about a mile from the Capitol in Washington, D.C. And his favorite spot in the entire Capitol is called the Whispering Spot. And so he first discovered this probably 20 years ago or so when he was on a tour of the Capitol, and the tour guide sat on one side of the Capitol, and he whispered something, and the tour group was on this side, and they could hear perfectly clear what the tour guide said. And so legend has it that John Quincy Adams used to have a desk at the corner where the whispering spot was, and he would pretend to be asleep so that he could listen to his political adversaries, right? I don't know if that's true, but it sounds cool. And he goes on to say, listen, we we all have an opportunity to hear the voice of God. There is whispering spots all throughout the Bible. He says, For Abraham, it was an oak tree. For Isaac, it was at a well. For Jacob, it was at Bethel. For Moses, it was a burning bush. For Samuel, it was the tabernacle. For David, it was in a cave. For Elijah, it was Mount Carmel. For Jonah, it was the belly of the whale. Listen, we all have a chance to have a whispering spot where God speaks to us. We have Him who has spoken to us clearly through His Word. He's spoken to us definitively through His Son, but He actually wants to meet us with His presence. Matthew 6, and we're going to look at this in a couple weeks, talks about the secret place where we can have this place where God meets with us. Matthew 6, verse 6 says this, But when you go to pray, go into your room, And shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So what this is an invitation to, if we're going to be a group of people that listen to and respond to Jesus, right? we actually have to have a place where we meet with Him. A place where we can hear His voice. A secret place so that we can meet with the God of the secret place. We don't simply get to know things about God, but we actually get to know God. And, and for, I mean, this, there's nothing wrong with this in and of itself, but I, th- I think as I talk to most people, 
their experience of prayer is a little something like this. I mean, they might read something that's true in here, you know, that sounds kind of good to them, and then they talk at God for maybe a minute or 90 seconds, and it kind of reads like a laundry list. Hey, I could use some help here. Maybe if you could do something with my boss over here, if you could help me with the kids over here, and that's it. And, you know, that's, that's a beginning, right? But what Scripture really portrays here is this, where God becomes God, where we're able to listen to and respond to the teachings of Jesus when we're talking about anxiety, which we'll talk about where he says, you can cast your cares and anxieties on me because I care for you. And that actually becomes a process where we say, we say, I'm anxious about this. Would you take this from me? I'm anxious about this. Would you take this from me? Can I experience in my heart the reality of your kingdom and your rule? So we have to be a group of people that not only know true things about God, but we actually have a true and a real relationship with God. Where, and for most of us, it means slowing down, right? It's most of us try to read way too much, right? And the, the way that we feed on Jesus and we, His Word becomes real spiritual food and real spiritual drink is to slow down and think about those things and allow them to begin to feed us and to help us to grow, uh, over Christmas, my wife gave me a copy of some essays by Mary Oliver. And she's one that loves to go into nature. And she's a big fan of Walt Whitman and poetry. And this is just something that kind of sits on my nightstand. And I'm trying to just grow in reading things that are different than Christian theology. And it's, it's beautiful. And a, a phrase in one of the essays she wrote was, Attention is the beginning of devotion. Right? We all want to be devoted to Jesus, but it begins with paying attention. It begins with slowing down. It begins with seeing the contours um, and the beauty of his facets. So attention is the beginning of devotion. And we want to really develop a relationship with Jesus where he feeds us and sustains us. Um, I, I want you to be comforted with this. I, I read this a few weeks ago. Um, just because you don't always re- remember everything that you read um, doesn't mean that it's not feeding you. I mean, I don't remember what I had for breakfast three weeks ago, um, but I assume that it, it worked and it's doing its job. So, so every time that you open up God's Word, it's not going to be this mountaintop experience. But there are times, um, and it should become more the norm, that when you are encountering God through His Word, that you're able to um, draw life upon it. And so, uh, I'm going to show, I'm going to have, we're going to do an exercise together here in a few moments, but I just want to, this is kind of what it looks like for me. So this week, um, and I'm kind of, don't do what I do just because I do it, that's probably not helpful at all, Um, but I'll have a book here, I'll have my Bible here, I'll have headphones on, so you may or may not want to do all those things, but I'll go from a book that'll have a a thought that'll spark me to want to go back to God's Word, and I'll I'll have God's Word that'll make me want to journal a little bit, and I'll listen to music. All that's kind of confusing, but I went, during one of my times this week, I went to Psalm 28, and there was just 
there were some things I needed to hear from the Lord. And I was fairly familiar with Psalm 28. And I just read the first two verses. It says, To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. And in my Bible, I mean, this is kind of a well-worn path for me. I I had, I'll perish apart from your voice. And I remember the first time that I ever wrote that out to the side. And it was a time when um, I was in a transition for moving from Atlanta, Georgia to Memphis, Tennessee. And I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew that if God didn't speak to me in a real way, and then it just built confidence in me that, that God was going to lead me and guide me in the decisions that I was looking forward to. And we had a retreat as elders, and that, that really was kind of about, hey, what are we going to do? God, I need you to help show up. And we had a wonderful time together as staff and elders this week. And so it's just amazing, but God wants to, to meet you. It, it may or may not be profound, but it's just slowing down and paying attention and allowing the truth of God's Word to intersect with actually where you live. It's not just true things about God, but it has to become good news for you. And so um, I've asked uh, Caroline Parsons to come in, and she's going to lead us, and we're going to do this together. Um, you know, and, and so I want this to be a culture where I, we assume that we don't know how to do this well. There's no... Um, this is something that we're always going to be growing in. And so, Caroline, you can come on up. She's going to lead us in an exercise just in applying this truth. Good morning. So we all know that we can meet God anywhere, anytime. And yet, how often is that really our real belief? Is that really real to us in our daily life? Do we take time to pause and meet with him truly no matter where we are, what mood we're in? Um, And how often as a church do we do that together? Certainly on Sunday mornings, worshiping together, praying together. But we're going to do that right now is just stop and listen, give space for God to speak. So as I um, lead us in prayer, there's going to be some pauses. And sometimes pauses are awkward when we're all sitting here together. But in conversations, we allow for pauses to let the other person speak. So as I give um, space for these pauses, um, listen to what God has to speak to each one of us personally. So if you will, bow your heads, close your eyes, Take a deep breath. Dear Jesus, we come to you this morning in need of fresh mercy and your amazing grace. Our greatest joy in life is knowing you to be a sympathetic, compassionate, and generous Father. We come boldly to your throne of grace because you went gladly to the cross of shame for us. 
Jesus, you are the Lamb of God who took away our sin and the Shepherd of Grace who gives us exactly what we need at just the right time in just the right form. God, I pray right now in this time that you would meet each of us in this moment. Open our hearts to hear from you as you speak to each of us, your children, personally. Continue to pray as you hear this word from Matthew. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. As the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, it fell and great was the fall of it. As we reflect over this last year, whose voice have I been listening to? God, is it your voice that's the loudest in each of my days? on in this last year. founded on the rock. And 
and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Jesus, we ask that you would help us to build our house on the solid rock of your love and grace. Help us not to entrust our security to anything other than you, Lord. Help me to know you more deeply, Jesus, that I would listen to your voice more and more each day in my life. Thank you for the grace to trust you, my rock. And may our lives reflect this trust in our actions, not just our words. Jesus, we long to be devoted to you, to know you, to follow you, to hear from you, to be more like you, God, our Redeemer and Savior.